0: Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. Kids Christmas Concerts. Office holiday parties. <coughs> Neighborhood holiday parties. End of the year meetings with your accountant. Family Christmas get together. Friendsmas. Shopping. Going to see Christmas lights. Small group. Christmas party. Random concert you bought tickets to a long time ago and forgot that it was happening in December. That one might be oddly specific and autobiographical. (laughs) Preparing to cook for your family Christmas get together. More shopping. Jumping on Amazon to buy the things that you forgot to shop for it's the most wonderful time of the year we are so busy our our christmas and advent season between our normal busy work schedule our normal busy schedule with friendships with children with families apart from all of that we just add on so much around Christmas time we just start pouring on more things to do more parties more get together more stuff more and more and more I mean you guys who have been around City Church for a while know me I'm a raging extrovert and even I think that the holiday season gets a little extra gets to be a little too much Because it feels like every night of the week, we're either going to some sort of event, preparing for another sort of event, or recovering from said event. Those are the only three options for evenings during the month of December. Getting ready for a party, at a party, recovering from being at a party. Over and over again. And we get overwhelmed. We get overwhelmed, and we think, oh, but there's, there's this one more thing, there's this one more experience that my kids can't miss out on. I've got to take them to this place. There's, You know, it's just one more late night. It's just one more, one more, one more. Two more. It's no, it's no surprise that most of us have a sort of love-hate relationship with Christmas. Like, There's great things. Like, I like going to parties with my friends. I like seeing people that I don't get to see all the time. I like getting to see my family and getting together. I like eating good food and giving presents to other people. But every night, every night, over and over again, it is impossibly busy. So, what do we do about that? What, what, what do we do about the fact that we have fallen into or created, I'm not sure, a system where we are in the throes of busyness every night of the week in December? And it makes us low-key dread Christmas. It makes some of us hate Christmas. What do we do about that? Do we just kind of go, well, that's just the way it is. I don't know, Christmas? Do we just sort of go, yeah, this is normal. This is the way Christmas has always been and always will be. If we do that, what, what that leads to in, in your heart and mind, because many of us just kind of go, yeah, this is just the way it is. And it leads us to be super cynical because it turns Christmas into just like this long series of transactions, this long series of sort of consumer experiences where, okay, like, you know, the office Christmas party I've got to go to, because if I don't, it's like super socially unacceptable. Okay. I'll go do that. All right. The neighborhood party. Well, at least the neighborhood party's at a brewery. Uh, so that'll take the edge off of it. I'll go to that. That'll be fine. Okay. Like, literally not allowed by society to miss my kid's Christmas concert and it's super like bad form even though he's singing one song out of the 20 I still have to go for all 20 and we just become cynical because it's just over and over and over you know Christmas is just a chance for us to, to burn our cash to so our friends who live in retail that they can feed their families this year It's our time to give back to those people. What if there was another way? What what if there was another way to think about Christmas? What if there was another way to do Christmas? What if if it was possible to be shaped in the month of December, December by something else? Would you want that? Would that be something that interests you? Would that be something you'd be willing to be interested in? Most of us would go, yeah. yeah, 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 let's do that. Let's do that more interesting thing. Let's do the less busy thing. Let's do that. But then the question would come, are you willing to change? Are you willing to change to be less busy at Christmas? Are you willing to think about Christmas differently, if it costs you doing the same things you've done every year, and then all of a sudden, all of a sudden we get hesitant. We sort of back up, we recoil. But here's the thing. We get out of Christmas exactly what we expect to get out of it. If you expect for Christmas to be a season of awe and wonder celebrating the birth of Jesus, you will probably get out of Christmas a season of awe and wonder celebrating Jesus. If you expect Christmas to be stressful and busy and to just burn you out, guess what you're going to get out of Christmas? You're going to be stressful and busy. That's going to burn you out and you're going to be lost on the idea of awe and wonder. You can't stumble into awe and wonder. You have to be looking for it. And I want to talk about today somebody who was looking for it. We've been going through the songs that Luke records and, and we haven't been doing them in order. Uh, I learned that last year when we did the Mothers of Jesus um, and the ordering left us with a... Um, a story of David and Bathsheba a few days before Christmas. Uh, this year I reordered the series so that we end, so that next week we're going to do glory to God in the highest and on earth peace among men with whom his favor rests. I ordered it so that we got that next week. So this week we're sort of skipping ahead in the story. We're going to a story that happens 40 days after the birth of Jesus, 40 days after Christmas when Jesus goes to the temple With his parents. So if you would stand with me, we're going to read, I'm going to read Luke chapter 2, verses 25 through 35. Let's hear the word of God. Now there was a man in Jerusalem whose name was Simeon and this man was righteous and devout waiting for the consolation of Israel and the holy spirit was upon him and it had been revealed to him by the holy spirit that he would not see death before he had seen the lord's christ and he came into and he came in the spirit into the temple and when the parents brought the child in the child jesus And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that the thoughts of many hearts may be revealed. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. So just like we have already seen before the birth of Jesus, when Jesus is around, people tend to burst into song. And that's exactly what happens uh, as the as Mary and Joseph take Jesus. The uh, Mary is ready to to give her offering from her purification rites. Jesus is there to sort of uh, take care of the things and or be taken care of as he grows. And so this is forty day after the birth of Jesus, and then Simeon, not a scribe, not anybody of importance, just a regular guy finds Jesus in the temple and sees him and begins to rejoice. As we hear this story, we are sort of desensitized to how wild this story really is. Think about this. The the temple in, in Jerusalem took up about 35 acres, which if you think about it is the size of Tropicana Field plus half of the parking lot's surrounding Tropicana Field. It's basically every t- everything between 1st and 4th Avenues South, 16th Street, and 10th Street. Like, everything up to Dr. Barbecues. That's a huge temple complex. And now imagine it crawling with people like, like chant, right? Not like a baseball game. Aww. Yeah, thank you. Self-deprecating race fan, right? Not like a baseball game, but like packed, like slammed. Like for Enchant. Now imagine seeing a random baby and going, Oh, look! The Messiah! We went to Enchant. Uh, the, the volunteers from City Church went to Enchant a few weeks ago. And we all kind of walked in together. It was nice. And then as soon as we got in, Uh, especially everybody with kids, like the kids went, ooh, look, and all of them pointed in a different direction, and all of a sudden, poof, the group was gone. And you may or may not have been able to find somebody ever again that night. I, I was thinking, like, I was trying to think through, like, who I saw later that night, and, like, there was, like, half of the people that I never saw again. Like, I still, you know, I'm still not sure if a reindeer ate some people because I haven't seen them since, right? But, But think of that amount of people, that mass of people, and that amount of space. And Simeon walks up and goes, there, right there, that's the Messiah. This is ironic because it's like seeing a needle in a haystack. But it's also ironic that who it is that sees him. It is not the priests. It is not the scribes. It is not the rabbis who point to Jesus the Messiah. It's, it's a random guy. Named Simeon. Yes, he's righteous. Yes, he's devout. Yes, he is a good guy. But something more is going on. What separated Simeon from everybody else, swirling around the temple, doing all of the the temple-y things around him, what separated Simeon, what set him apart, was that he was looking for the consolation of Israel. He was looking for the Messiah. He was looking for the one that would save him from his sins. That's what sets Simeon apart. That's what allowed him to see Jesus. And he does. He gets it. He gets to see Jesus. And when he does, he begins to rejoice. He sees Jesus and he begins to rejoice. Ah, this is the one. This is salvation. It has come. And you can almost hear His shoulders begin to drop. The the tension sort of begins to fall out of Simeon. His tongue comes unglued from the roof of his mouth. His teeth unclench. Because all of a sudden he knows something when he sees this baby that God, God is changing things, God is writing a new story. God is forgiving the sins of his people, and he is doing it through this baby, not because of anything Simeon has done. See, when Simeon sees this child, he begins to see that what God is doing in us is not a matter of our working and not a matter of our striving. Striving. Advent offers us a way off of the hamster wheel of performance. The story of Advent, the story of a baby coming to this earth, the story of us anticipating Jesus gives us a chance to get off of the hamster wheel of performance and perfection, of cultural expectations. It it has become sort of a, a rite of passage. To make jokes about, ah, yes, well, I'm going to go home and disappoint my parents at Christmas for this thing that I've done this year or this thing that I have not done. It is, it is a cultural touch point that everybody sort of, you know, knows that it is often difficult to go home around the holidays because we face questions. Why haven't you gotten that promotion yet? Why? Haven't you found someone to love yet? When are you going to give me grandchildren? Whatever sort of your story that you get asked is, Christmas has become a time of expectation. Why haven't you done the thing? And the Bible teaches us, no, 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 no. It's not about your work. It's about what Jesus is doing for us. Simeon saw that. Simeon knew that. But we treat Christmas like it's one more consumer event. We turn Christmas into cultural discontent and cultural coveting writ large. It is a chance for us to look around and go, what don't I have? What haven't I accomplished? What am I not? Whether that's by looking around in our family, whether that's by avoiding our family, we do this in so many ways. But Jesus comes, and he comes to give us life, and give us that life abundantly. Simeon looks into the eyes of this child that he saw among the crowds at the temple, among the huge temple complex. He looks and he sees this child and he sees that God is bringing life. That God is bringing consolation. And he's doing that. He's bringing this peace through a little baby. I mean... This is not somebody looking at Jesus doing a miracle and going, ah, there's the Messiah. This is somebody looking at a six-week-old child and going, ah, yes, clearly there's the Messiah. You see, the, the story of Jesus is the story of helplessness. Simeon is freaking out about how great this child in cloth diapers is. That's your Messiah. He's a little baby. And yet, we can look and go, ah, yes, there's a baby. It's baby. Or we can look like Simeon did and say, ah, yes, there, there, there is salvation wrapped up in that swaddling clothes. There is glory. There is the glory of God. There is the light of the world that is piercing through this darkness. There it is. This child has come to change everything. But we don't slow down to consider that. We rush, like everyone else at the temple complex, straight past the baby. Because we've got other things to do. We've got to make sure that we check off all of the boxes that we came here to take care of. we got to make sure that we get all of our to-do list done. We have to make sure that everything ends up right and that we're there on time for the kids' play. Look, I'm guilty of this too. I'm guilty of making Advent and Christmas into a season that's all about the hustle and all about the bustle. I am guilty of not asking myself this question. What am I doing to change my family's rhythms? To match not my culture's rhythms of Christmas, but the Bible's rhythms of the story of Jesus. I don't ask myself that question. I just forge ahead. And keep doing the same thing as everybody else around me. But there's something slow about stopping to notice a baby. About stopping to notice that something more is going on here. You see, Christmas, by its very nature and from the very beginning, is divisive. You catch after after Simeon finds this child in the temple, after Simeon lifts up this child and sings a song saying, This is the consolation of Israel, this is the light of the world, this is the glory of God in flesh. He sort of has a weird way of ending that song. He turns to Mary and he says, Ah, yes, your child. This one's going to cause a lot of people to rise and fall in Israel, and he's going to put a sword through your heart. Mom. And then, seemingly, hands the child back and goes on about his business. What a strange thing to say, is it not? Why, why does he say that this child is going to be for the rising and falling of many in Israel, and he's, he's going to have a sword that pierces through Mary's heart as well? What, what is going on there? I think, I think what's going on is that Luke is showing us that the very message of the good news of Jesus that starts with his birth is something That is divisive and that we don't like to think about. That's the reason. Let me pull back the curtain for a minute and show you the way things work. The reason we have created busyness around Christmas is because we don't want to ask the question, what does Christmas mean? And if we stay busy enough going from holiday party to holiday party from event to event, from thing to thing. If we stay busy enough doing that, we don't have to stop and ask ourselves the question, what is this all about? Because if we ask ourselves the question, what is this all about? The Bible, the story of Jesus resoundingly comes back that the story of Christmas is the story about God saving his people. Which is a divisive story. Because what do we need saving from? What is it that, the, that, the, that Jesus would say in his life? What is it that Jesus' followers would say in their life? What do they say that we need saving from? We'd like to hope that it's just, you know, we need saving from not being so nice sometimes. We need to be saved because, you know, at one time in traffic, I wasn't such a good guy. No, the message and what Jesus says, the message and what Jesus' followers said, is that we are absolutely morally bankrupt. And that moral bankruptcy has incurred for us the wrath of God. And what we need to be saved from is the wrath of God because we are the ones who have ruined his creation and put other humans into pain by the actions that we have done and the things that we've left undone. But I don't want to think about that. So I'm just going to excuse myself to go to my next party. I don't want to think about the fact that the reason why Jesus had to come, the reason why Jesus had to be born as a human. Was to save me from not just the not nice things that I've done, but from the ways that I've actively hurt others and actively hurt those who I've loved. But I don't want to think about that. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to get real busy. I'm going to get in a real hurry. So that I don't have to think about that. So that I don't have to consider the way that Jesus is a sword that cuts through my heart. That's a, that's a pretty, pretty brutal statement. You know, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, you know, what I just said should bring up a question. Because many times, if, if, if we're not a Christian, we might say, you know, I'm not a Christian because the whole idea of faith is difficult to me. Like, how can you believe in something you can't see? Or maybe you say, you know, I've, I've read the history. Religion is always doing like horrible atrocities to people who are different than them. That's why I'm not a Christian. So we have this sort of intellectual descent from faith. And that's why we're not a Christian. What I want you to consider this Advent, this Christmas season is, what if your objection to Christianity was not intellectual? What if your objection to Christianity is actually moral? That you don't like what Jesus says about you? That you don't like what the Bible says about you? What if that was actually your primary objection? How would that change your question? And if you're here this morning and you are a Christian, this is what we're called to stop and consider. This is what we're called to think through. That we have to reckon with our sin. But the story of Christmas is this. If we do begin to see ourselves as sinners, if we do begin to see that we are in need of Jesus, Christmas is all about God Making the beautiful sacrifice that we couldn't make. It's all about God loving us. Because we are more helpless than the six-week-old baby Jesus in the temple in this story. We are more in need. And so, He comes. And he ends the cycle of performance by doing it on our behalf. He breaks the wheel that we run on that says we constantly have to improve, constantly have to be better, constantly have to achieve, constantly have to make the people, the right people, proud of us and accepting of us. He comes to break that wheel. He comes to free us from that by doing it on our behalf. By taking our sin on his shoulders so that we don't have to bear it any longer. And so the heart, the heart of this story that we read, the heart of the song that Simeon sings is that he is prepared for us this salvation. And the language that he uses, he's borrowing from the psalm, a psalm that we know well, where it says, you have prepared for me, Psalm 23, you have prepared for me a table in the midst of my enemies. God has prepared a table for all those who trust in him, Jew and Gentile, religious and non-religious, good and bad, leaders and followers, poor and rich, all who recognize their need of a savior sit at this table together made whole and acceptable by nothing they have done, but rather what Jesus has done on their behalf. So City Church, let's be shaped this Advent season by the good news. Let's be a sign like Jesus was. Let's be a sword like Jesus was to downtown St. Pete. So what if we celebrated Christmas in such a way? What if we carried ourselves over the next half month in such a way that it was a challenge to the individualistic consumer mentality of our neighbors and our co-workers, our friends, and our families? What would it look like if we were so convinced of the message of Jesus that it changed the way that we celebrated Christmas? What if all of a sudden the story of Jesus... And his love for sinners like us shaped our rhythms and shaped the way we celebrate. Let's pray.